serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. Today, I've got something a little different for you guys. Today, I'm going to be doing an interview. Uh, I might catch up on some news uh, depending on how long the interview goes, but the main part of today's podcast is going to be finding out about Defango and what he's been doing to build out uh, his own server. And that server is called gitmo.life, which is a very cool name, I think. But he's also a fan of a slightly different technology than Mastodon. So with that, let me introduce you and have you just jump right in. Hi, how's it going? I'm Defango, a.k.a. Manuel Chavez, the third or the turd, depending on how you know me. Uh, And uh, I like to build things. Very cool. Very cool. And so I ran into you, I think, because I saw you through the uh, feed coming through on our server, but uh, you were actually logged in on your own server. And then uh, I can't remember the exact details, but one thing led to another. We started chatting. You invited me to take a look at your server. Oh, I know what it was. You were, you were complaining about the Mastodon platform and how you didn't like it, and you found something that you liked better. So what platform is that? So it's a platform called MissKey. It's actually Japanese. Um, the All the dev and everything in it seems to be in Japanese. I have to use like uh, translators to actually you know, read and do it or utilize it. But um, I had been messing with social networks for quite some time um, in the past. Like I've set these things up for other people. And I had actually looked at Mastodon a couple of years ago um, when I was working for a company called Firesight. Uh, We were using Mastodon for a social network that a client was having us build out for them. And uh, that's when I had experienced some I wouldn't call them issues, just like quirks, things that I didn't like about the platform back then that really, to me, didn't make it very uh, viable for like my idea of what a small instance you know, could possibly be. And uh, I had been paying attention to Mastodon's pages on that, like their blog posts and, you know, taking a look at what, you know, it took for them, you know, back in 2017 to host like 43,000 people. And, you know, now that it's kind of a couple of years later, they're a lot bigger and they don't really talk about like what it takes to like host an instance that big and I just decided that I had already spent a lot of time with Mastodon. I'd looked at Plamora and these other ones, and I have not seen anybody messing with MissKeys. So I said, okay, well, I'll just, uh, you know, go learn this one really quick and figure out what's going on with it. And so far, it's been running for about a month. And in my opinion, it's actually pretty solid because... I haven't really had to do too much. I mean, we've made some upgrades for things here and there to make it a little bit more simplistic for our users to interact with it. But um, right now we're looking at it as a unit test. It's a usage test. Like we wanted to get as many people on it as possible and have it opened up to as many Fediverse servers as possible to kind of stress test it just because from what we see on the main instance for MISKEY, like it's got, you know, a lot of nodes on it. It kind of has about a hundred people on it at any given point, maybe a little bit more than that, depending on what time of day, but it just didn't seem like it was tested enough in my opinion. But, you know, I had been messing with it for a little while. So I threw up an instance of it and then we, I mean, at first it was called halls of because it wasn't anything that we were even going to do anything with. Like it was kind of just like, you know, I was testing and uh, we didn't even, I mean, two days later, my friend Glenn's like, Hey, 
you uh we should do so we should make something out of this you know we should just make it into our own instance and i was just like okay well i guess we could do that and that's kind of where we went you know like for me it wasn't like i wanted to create anything or jump in anybody's space i just was like my buddy glenn kind of made a bet and this is my problem in life i think it is is like people will be all like hey could you do this and then i'll be all like so you're saying they take advantage of your ocd yeah they take advantage of my ocd for sure so yeah, yeah glenn took advantage of my ocd i threw this thing up in like two hours and then uh, you know, it's about a month or so later and we've already migrated server hosts and I've implemented a bunch of different things to make it what I think will be, you know, stress testable. You know, I'm thinking that I could probably get a hundred thousand people on this server before I might have to start thinking about putting it on something else. But, you know, I don't really know a lot about like social networks i know a decent amount about the fediverse and i'm very well versed in all the different new technologies that are out there and so let, i just figured a, a step back before we dive into too techy and geeky uh, stuff about the differences here um so let's let's just let me ask you some basic questions about yourself then now given the name of the server as being gitmo.life uh, I immediately assumed that uh, you were a fan of No Agenda Show. Is that correct? Yeah, I am a fan of No Agenda Show. There's what one guy that actually watches, used to watch my YouTube show a lot. Um, his name is Adam, and uh, I won't say his last name or whatever to keep his privacy, but he was always watching your show, watching my show. So, like, he got me into watching you guys, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, like, these guys are actually really on the, the point of about a lot of the new technology stuff out there. So I've kept it as something that I've listened to for, you know, a couple of years, probably since, like, 2017. <laughs> Well, and just to clarify, uh, you guys doesn't actually include me. You're probably, you're probably uh, thinking of John and Adam. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm those just, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a guy in the background. I've known Adam for a while. I was his business partner for a while, but I'm uh, not at all connected to No Agenda, other than I'm also a huge fan and I've donated uh, some money to those guys. Uh, hence, I'm known on there as the uh, the Duke of Texas. But... Um, for me, I'm I'm as much of a listener and a fan and appreciate the way that they've been able to, for over a decade now, present uh, a view of news based on deconstruction and actually digging at uh, solid information. It's something that used to be called news back in the old days, uh, but these days news is really just people reading press releases. And what No Agenda has been doing is taking those videos and those audio clips of people reading simply press releases and then deconstructing them, getting to the bottom of things, finding out more details, comparing them to uh, other people that are reading uh, the same type of information. And it's been very enlightening. And I think that's why on No Agenda, there has been so many topics that they've sort of uncovered and people that are listeners knew about months and sometimes even years before these things pop up in the mainstream and all of a sudden everyone is shocked and surprised. Meanwhile, the no agenda listeners knew about this stuff quite a while ago, but, Oh dude, actually I can attest to that in a very clear way is that, you know, I don't want to say that I'm borrowing, but yeah, um, a lot of stuff that, you know, I talk about sometimes on my show, um, I've literally thought something or, you know, went and looked it up and then, you know, like there's something on the, you know, agenda show for it. And, uh, there was this thing that they sent me 
and uh, it's got all of their like research from all the shows where you can search it. And you know, I gotta say that I've used their stuff, you know, a lot. You know, and made sure to point it out too that they've been always on the forefront. And I apply the same kind of methodology to the way that I put out articles because I like to go to Google and then just deconstruct the way that the AI is sending out the information and then kind of juxtapose it as to how individual news articles or news media outlets are actually portraying the story. And it's just like, you know, it's difficult, but it's almost the best way because you end up in front of a lot of really interesting things, you know, like the Epstein story. There was a lot of people that hadn't even heard about it in 2017. And, you know, like there was people out there that had already done, you know, basically the the bulk of the research into the fact yes. and you know like all of us are like oh wow we actually knew about all this stuff and then well by they 2017 told us we, crazy. We, we already had testimony uh saying that uh, uh bill clinton had been to the island numerous times but this was never in the mainstream press at all so uh, tell me a little more about uh, i know we're going to talk about the platform but tell me more about your Podcast now? Do you do a, uh, just uh, purely audio, or do you do a video audio? What, what are you doing right now? And and what's so, it called? What's the title? Well, uh, I used to it used to be called Defango until YouTube banned me off of their plat or YouTube suspended my channel, and then uh, now I just call it. It used to be called the Get Citizen Life or Citizen Zone. Now it's called Gitmo Life, just because I needed to change the name again, just to keep ahead of the and censorship. It's back on YouTube. Yeah, so I have YouTube, and um, that's where I predominantly do most of my stuff. We also have like a, a Gitmo.tv where I'm actually, it's a website, it's a PureTube instance that I set up when I was also setting up the MISKey instance, and I live stream to that, and I'm still live streaming as Defango. Oh, I didn't know like, that PureStream could handle live stream, that's cool. Yeah, the newest version of PeerTube uh, enabled live stream. Right. There is no live chat, but you can live stream uh, video and audio. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it's actually pretty nice. All I right. mean, and I've then, been so what? What types of topics have you been covering? Obviously, good ones since you got banned. Well, yeah, I've been covering topics that were good ones. So, like, I started off uh, trying to dive through the actual Pizzagate narrative, and I was trying to associate people that, you know, like, these are actual, like, psyops that are being run by foreign government groups, like the NSO group, you know, guys like Michael Flynn are, you know, helping and putting their face on the platform so that they can, you know, better basically track individuals and like for a very long time i would stay very close to the mainstream media topics but then at the same time i'd be like trolling the chan boards and uh, pulling up basically any like piece of information and then i would always take the idea the same way is that i would take you know my first point of information and then start diving down into it and then i would give everybody you know pace bins of all of the research so that they could you know like recheck my work and i would associate my kind of daily show to that and i still do a daily show it's like an hour i usually try to just go for an hour where i talk about the platform we cover the news and any kind of weird stuff that might have happened and then every now and then i'll like you know there's a current event that's happening you know something crazy is going on i'll start researching that because uh you know one time you know there was like an ariana Grande concert and there was a an explosion at it and uh on my live stream like i investigated it and we were able to locate the terrorist cell that actually did it and then i called you know the british 
number to give them the tips or whatever, and it ended up the tip that I gave them was the tip that allowed them to bust these guys so that you know they couldn't do anything else. And that was all like stuff that we do on the live stream. I started solving puzzles and just kind of sitting up here, just doing kind of whatever for very long hours of time, and I've kind of just over time condensed it down to like an hour of day of just trying to hit the main points or if I see something that's like really strange in the news that needs to be brought to awareness, I'll try to talk about it. Although I'm trying cool. to play the game, you know, so I don't get censored again. Yeah. And that's, that's a big issue for everybody is avoiding censorship. So now are you jumping onto Reddit and 4chan and other, uh, you know, places where there's a whole ton of garbage, but also some nuggets to be found? Yeah, um, I troll basically every place. Like, I think uh, I started on YouTube in 2007 is when I started, like, Defango a lot, which is, it's always been me, you know, since I've been a young, a wee young lad. I just kind of came up with that name and stuck with it. And, uh, since 2007, I mean, as as the platforms have been coming on, I've been getting onto them and I've kept myself associated or at least, you know, my eye on things. I used to joke and call myself the elusive man because I'm kind of like a shadow broker. Like I know everybody, everybody knows of me, but, you know, nobody really knows what I actually do. Got it. So what do you actually do? So what I actually do is like I'm a computer IT professional. So oh, that's a uh, shocker. I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's like a big shocker for a lot of people. I know. Um, I was actually a chef for a very long time. I spent oh, cool. a couple That's of cool. years being a chef, working at bars and restaurants, and just kind of staying off of computers. Uh, after after two thousand and I think it was like in early two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, I had kind of like a a weird identity crisis, and uh, I decided that I wanted to go to school, and I went to culinary school and was, like, running the IT department while I was going there, but mm -hmm. um, I That's felt like cool. I needed I, to do I actually, something. Uh, I, now, I didn't end up going, but I, I did apply to, and I uh, got accepted, and I was starting at Corona Blue, but uh, I, I ended up getting a client gig that was very well-paying right as I was supposed to leave, and so I, I had to make the choice to make money instead of spend money. Make money. I mean, I made money and spent, or I made money and spent money, but I went to La Cordon Bleu. Very you cool. know, like I was running IT for those guys. I ended mm -hmm. up talking to a lot of the big chefs out there, but really I ended up just fixing their computers. Right. And that's what, that's really what got me known is that. Somebody would, you know, one of these celebrity chefs would bust their computer and then they would just call Merlin, which brings in my other, you know, internet name that I use, but it's for, you know, the, the, in the chef world, you know, something really, really bad happens at your restaurant, you get hacked, there's, you know, you need an installation that I, I generally take care of that kind of thing. So right now I'm a contractor and I basically get hired by different companies to do jobs and I've worked with you know, the top fortune 100 companies, many of them, you know, actually in the top 10 as well. But, you know, I've worked for Macy's, Walmart, Bloomingdale's, uh, Apple, and a bunch of other companies. I actually currently still have a gig with Apple. Very nice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always fun to hear people's backstory because the image that others have of us is based purely on what we're putting out. And, and I think you and I are both similar in the sense that we're very much uh, putting out controlled information. Like we're, we're fully, fully in understanding of the 
message that the data that we're putting out creates, um, and not for nefarious reasons or anything. It's just sort of part of the deal, part of the personality, I guess. Uh, but it's always fun to kind of dig a little bit deeper than what is the perceived impression based on that and find out things like cooking. Like I've always loved cooking. I've done, uh, you know, a bunch of little, uh, projects that are around cooking. I also went to bartender school, did that whole thing, but it, it's not something most people know about me because it never comes up in any of my posts or, you know, things that I choose to put out there in terms of the information that's associated with me. Yeah, I well, I think I've put it out there for myself, but you know, in the personality aspect is that, you know, I've always put out Defango has been, you know, Manuel Chavez the third and over time since I actually started being really uh like a live streamer, I guess, sometime in 2016 I decided that I wanted to become a live streamer and then, you know, I started live streaming and I had no idea what I was doing or anything like that. I was just kind of uh taking the moment and running with it. And what I found was that I could, I was basically living my entire life on a live stream. So like I wasn't really hiding any information about what I was doing about anything. I may not have just like, in a way I would just not say things, but I would still sure. be there and I would still be doing the things, you know? And if somebody asked a question, I would answer a question or whatever, but I wasn't like, you know, letting everybody know that I was just sitting on my computer live streaming while I was in the middle of doing my work, right? You know, like I'm just doing stuff. You know, this so now is were you uh, always on YouTube or did you go on Twitch or what did you do? Um, I've went as as soon as YouTube was out. Um, I found out a way to restream to all the different sites. So like I'm on, I was on all of them. I'm still on pretty much all of them. Like I've only ever Defango got banned. The name Defango got banned on YouTube, but you know, I still have other channels and stuff like that, that I stream on, you know, I, I call it a protest basically, but like I stream on all of the platforms. So, and for me, it was like, I didn't have any information. Nobody's going to give me any info on, you know, how hard it is or what you need to do. So I kind of used the shotgun approach and just streamed on all of them. Like even at this day, I think I'm still streaming to YouTube, Twitch, DLive, Trovo, um, my own personal platform, Periscope and uh, there's probably another one in there. Facebook, I think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't work though. I don't know what that's all about. And what was your goal in streaming? Was it uh, was it to make money? Was it to disseminate information? Was it just something to occupy your time? Well, why did you start doing it? Well, I had made a bunch of money off of uh, Bitcoin, so like I had started streaming as just like a hobby because I wanted to. I want. I was basically using YouTube as free space for like what I was doing because I like to record when I'm doing things so I can scrub it back later and like look at it. And I started streaming on YouTube because I realized that, you know, you can stream private. So like, you know, it's, you can have as much unlimited free video storage as if you want, if you know how to use it. Right. And I, I guess one day I didn't put it private so like I was sitting there and I had probably been streaming for like a week. Sometimes I'd stream for like 48 hours where it was like, you know, my live stream was on. It was just my desktop. And then, you know, I'd just be coming and going. And uh, I realized that there was people, you know, like in the live chat, like talking. And I had no idea that there had it. I had no idea I was So they're even, talking like, to live. themselves, basically, amongst themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were talking amongst themselves, and then, you know, it kind of just, like, spawned into... I started, you know, actually trying to do the news, and then people would come with me with problems, and then I'd be like, okay, well, you know, you have a tech support problem, I'd help them fix it. You know, if somebody would say I have an issue with something, I would drive to their house and go help them fix it with it. It was just like kind of doing day-to-day tasks, and it was like people were giving me tasks to do, and then the task would just get greater and greater and greater. But, I mean, most of the time it was like, hey, did you hear about this thing? And then I'd be like, oh, I don't know. So I'd pull it up, and then I would take that one thing that they talked about, you know, they'd come up with some conspiracy theory, or have you heard about, you know, the the space lasers on the moon, or something like that. So I would literally start talking about it because for the last, you know, since probably since I was like seven years old, I've been into internet conspiracies and on a computer. So like I've literally involved myself with all of these different conspiracies. So like I actually know about most of them. So when somebody pulls something out of the air and says, Hey, do you know about this? I'm like already thinking about what they're you know, what they're talking about. And if I'm typing in, you know, keywords that I already know are going to bring me up the link (laughs) of where I first saw it or where I went to. So, you know, like I would make it kind of like a learning experience. So I was showing, this is how I Google things and search for stuff. This is how you should probably be doing it too. And it was like an education type aspect where I'm teaching people about cryptocurrency because, you know, like most people that watch my YouTube channel didn't know that for probably about five years of my life, like I didn't have to even work a regular job because I just had crypto. And I paid my rent most of everything that I did from a daily day basis off crypto. I just wasn't like one of these goobers that are like, oh man, I lived my whole entire life on crypto and you know, like I'm doing it. You know, I didn't, I'm not that kind of person, I don't think. You know, my personality doesn't fit that angle. You know, I just kind of like do whatever's going to do me. And I tried to explain it to people who would tell them about it, but like it just ended up being too much of a hassle for me to try to explain it. And, you know, in 2017, I actually did take some time to do talks about Bitcoin in particular because I tell people all the time that. I was around when that shit first came out, you know, like I understand, you know, like what it was, you know, when I was in college with Bitcoin, like some of us. Yeah, I bought a pizza with Bitcoin. I've spent (laughs) more money in Bitcoin than people could imagine. I've lost more money in Bitcoin now than people could imagine. Like I got a phone stolen one time where they had five Bitcoins on it. That's $250,000. And I lost that phone at Coachella. Somebody stole my phone at Coachella. That was an expensive event for you. Yeah. Back then it was like a... It was like 50, 60 bucks. Maybe no, it was like 300 bucks back then. Yeah. So it was like a little hit. But, you know, I look back at that, that time for reference and I'm just like, Jesus, you know, that that's a big hit, you know, and I've had 50 Bitcoins at one time, but you know, like if you don't save your private key, like then you're never going to be able to get it. And I mean, at the beginning of all of this, like people don't talk about blockchain the way that it should be. And, you know, people talk about how Shitoshi Nakamoto is the creator of Bitcoin. And, you know, I don't disagree with anybody on that. It's just like people don't look at the blockchain and get, they automatically associate Shitoshi Nakamoto to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Like the blockchain was created and it was something else. And then Shitoshi Nakamoto took what the blockchain was and 
made a cryptocurrency out of it. And the reason they did this was to prove a point or was to solve a mathematical problem, the Byzantine the Byzantine fault tolerance, which was basically Bitcoin was the answer to this age, this question that nobody had been able to answer. And it was like a physical representation of what you could do. And it was kind of like a beta. And I don't think that like a lot of people realize, you know, what the what the private keys are actually that they're hunting for are. You yeah, know, like most they don't, people I don't. don't. I'd, I'd say 99.999% don't. Yeah, well, they don't. And I think it's important. You know, it's like people don't understand how important prime numbers are. And if people understood that the those prime numbers associated with those private keys and those unlocked uh, blocks of Bitcoin that you get every time that, you know, something's undone, you know, every time that they find a new one, you know, it's a mathematical thing. You know, the blockchain is like a thought of the next potential prime numbers that we've never even seen or been able to calculate up to a very, very high number. And, you know, once the blockchain is complete, right, the first one at least, and all the rest of them that are different don't follow the same association. But once that's done, you know, like a lot of mathematical throughput that needed to get done that was possibly going to take 100 million years just got done and... (laughs) like 10 and all they had to do was monetize it. Right. And I think that that's what the, yeah, you monetize people and their greed. Exactly. You know, you you use human nature to uh, solve a problem. Correct. So you give people something they want. Now we're in this new space with Bitcoin where it's past $55,000 a coin, you know, poor McAfee's, you know, eating his PP and stuff because of his, you know, weird, it's going to make 100000 But at the same time, you know, we're now looking at the banks in a different complete way. They're actually investing into Bitcoin as an asset. So, you know, another critical function of the blockchain is about to be realized. And, you know, I've said this for a long time, but that the blockchain is a trap. And it's not a trap for people. It's a trap for the banks. But it takes the people in order to make the trap sweet enough for the bad guys to come get it i guess you would have to say like it has to be a big enough nut for them to get interested into it and they'll be interested in a trillion dollar market cap but even then it's going to put the thumb screws on them even more than what a normal person would think because you know it's not regulated it's going to bring in regulation but this is the point in time where the banks have the most to lose because there's so greedy that they're actually going to try to manipulate this thing and i think we're going to see it very soon within the next couple of weeks like we'll see the first dtfs we'll see a big drop and then like over the next year or two we're probably going to watch the market go crazy and it's just going to be because it's not like the stock market you know this stuff's still not regulated these big companies have been doing it on the side and manipulating the market for sure and I mean, they've spent the last three years planning their attack, and it's about to happen. But what they don't understand is that it was designed for this, right? Like, somebody back in the day that put this thing together had the the prescience to understand that the banks were going to be coming, and when they would be coming, and how they would be coming, and they put something in there that's going to stop them. So one of the sort of risk factors with blockchain and certainly with Bitcoin 
was the risk of having somebody take control or ownership of over 50% um, in order, uh, because you're, you're getting rid of the, uh, what's the technical term for it? The, um, essentially the agreements, right? If, if one party is effectively controlling over 50%, they can make a, a change to the blockchain and it's going to be self-referencing because they're, they're holding the majority of the vote. Correct. So, um, a Sybil attack. There you go. That's what I was, uh, forgetting. So what, what do you think uh, from a realistic standpoint, if you have banks, you have uh, large funds starting to get into Bitcoin, could we get to a point where they decide to sort of group up? So it's not any individual fund that could do it, but they could effectively plan a, uh, a takeover of Bitcoin. You are a smart man. Yes, this is, this is a thing that they could actually do. And it's something that the only protection for the, the only protection against it would be the fact that you wouldn't be selling. You would have to literally hodl your Bitcoin and not sell it in order to stop it. But if you look right. at what happened with GameStop, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, so, like, if we take the GameStop reference, is that they don't have the same kind of control here. Like, they can't tell these guys, they can't force these guys to stop selling you shares, and they can't tell them that you have to make them sell you shares. So it becomes this point where there's a lot of people like Shitoshi Nakamoto and, you know, many others who have, you know, mined untold thousands of these Bitcoins and literally just they're sitting places and they're not doing anything. And, and many... Uh, in many references, it's like, you know, Shitoshi Nakamoto is kind of like the KLF in the sense that, you know, he's got that 50 Bitcoin shit. And then there's just like other, you know, I think a thousand Bitcoins over a certain amount of period of time that got mined out. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people out there are expecting this this individual to come forward and be like... Hey, I'm gonna cash this stuff out. It was me and whatever. And I just have always seen it as the direct opposite, where it's like the KLF, they burned a million pounds just to say they could do it. And you know, it's like Satoshi Nakamoto, he didn't even save the private key for his first initial wallet. And who knows if he actually kept the keys or even has the keys for well, any of that, the other that's ones. A common mistake. I think a lot of us never saved the key to our first private wallet. Exactly. But you know what? It still happens. Like I fell that victim to that thing. I remember back in the day when I could buy, a, I think I spent $10 and I got a hundred Bitcoins or some shit. That was uh, yeah. amazing. You know, yeah, like that I, was, I was the day. I was this stuff uh, very early on and then uh, looking at my electric bill and going, well, God damn it. This isn't even covering the electricity. Screw this. <laughs> and then now you're like, well. Oh, I don't you even know, want to think about it, dude. I seriously, I don't even want to think about it. Cause I, I see, I hate it, but you know, you, you kind of got to think about it. Cause if it wasn't for guys like us that were doing this shit, it wouldn't have made it to where it's at. And even now, you know, like I could think about, you know, the couple million that I got sitting somewhere or whatever, but at the same time, but then it just makes me think like if I actually had to do all the stuff associated with having all that money? Like, would I be the same person that I am now? No, I probably wouldn't have been able to make it through all the things that I had to go through because I think one of the most important parts about like what I've done over the last couple of years is been that I've tried to show people 
other people out there that you don't need money to make things happen. And like, this is why I bring up Coachella a lot is because, you know, I went to Coachella cause some friends invited me to go with them. And then I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And then I made a pact to myself. I was like, you know what, if I ever come back to this place, like next year, I'm going to work at this place as opposed to, you know, just be a patron. I want to see the other side of things. And then I did the, just that, you know, you set goals and you make them, but it's teaching people the secret, right? Like, cause every, I've heard people talk about the secret a lot, you know, you got to see what you want and then you can get it. And that's only like half of the story. You kind of got to see what you want and then you got to see, you know, yourself like doing all those things to get there. And then you actually have to kind of go do all that stuff. And for me, it's always just been a very interesting collection of like coincidences that have allowed me to have you know, very interesting experience. You know, other people help you get to the places where you need to go. You just have to be open to seeing the sign that that person's actually trying to help you. Exactly. And then I, the way I kind of describe the secret as you don't have to read the book or, or go watch the movie or anything. The, the secret is really just knowing that you first need to figure out what the hell you actually want. And then the second part of that, like you said, that was just the first part. The second part is seeing or figuring out the path to getting there. Now, you don't have to finish the path. Uh, like, there will be plenty of opportunities that seem to pop out of nowhere uh, that will help you guide along the path. But if you don't see the end and you don't see the little trail going towards the end, uh, it's that much more difficult to that, to get there. So... I think that's the big secret of the secret, in my opinion anyway, is that it's really knowing where you're going and the general way to get there, even if you don't think you can walk, you know, a thousand miles or whatever. That, that's agree. secondary. The main thing is knowing the direction and seeing the path underneath your feet. Yeah. What I tell people is that it doesn't matter if you have a map or how it's drawn as long as you have one, like as long as you have the shittiest map, like it could be a piece of paper that says me with a line drawing to the place that you're trying to go. As long as you have like some kind of plan of getting there, your brain, your body, that biomechanical computer that, you know, you take for granted every single day will process the way of getting to that particular thing. It's like, you know, I tell people sometimes you're like Doctor Who and a sonic screwdriver. Like you're constantly processing data from different time periods of your life as you're living through your life. And eventually you will get that answer almost right every single time. And even if you don't know now, you know, I feel like simply experiencing things will allow your body to eventually process to this like higher understanding, I guess, of how you're supposed to actually be looking at things or, you know, you may not know something, but, you know, simply just reading into it a little bit and allowing your body to process it over time might be kind of helpful for you in the future. And that's it. You know, it's kind of hard to do that when you don't have a map. As a longtime fan, I, I'm I'm very happy about your Doctor Who analogy. Uh, that that's great to bring that up. And absolutely, uh, we are quantum computers. Uh, we're run on chemical energy, but we are quantum computers. We don't work in binaries, yeses, no, or absolutes. We work in statistical models that are currently running in our heads when we don't even realize what our brains are doing. 
So uh, from that standpoint, uh, having the map, all that's doing is simply allowing you to have a better understanding of what's already happening in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's giving you a point of reference. Because, you know, part of, like, you know, your brain being a quantum computer is that, you know, a lot of people don't have a good enough, I guess, uh, translation system between themselves. You know, some people will focus on the inner voice or a thought adjuster, which is, you know, kind of like if you were about to do something wrong and then that voice in your head's like, hey, man, that's probably not something that you should be doing. And then you make that conscious decision whether, well, I'm going to do it anyway or I'm not going to do it anyway. You know, that that that's the the thought adjustment voice in your head. And, you know, I've run into folks out there that don't have a voice, right? Like there's no, there's, there's no internal dialogue. Like there's not actually somebody talking inside of their heads, but they're still, you know, able to process information. They're just doing it in a different way. And that's the, I think that's the trick is figuring out, you know, how people are doing things. And I think there's little cues and quirks that you can pick up from folks over time, but essentially, every person's running with the same basic operating system, right? And everybody's got all the same functionality and space. It's just that everybody's algorithms, I guess, are on different things. Or, you know, maybe you're only thinking that you're able to store data inside of your brain when, you know, the same uh, memory circuits are inside of your heart and other parts of your body to the point where, you know, if you have that friend who's a pain in your ass, you know, like there might actually be a memory that's embedded in your ass of that person. <laughs> and that's why he's a pain. Like, it's a funny way of looking at things, but that's the way I kind of look at it. Cause you know, we live in a quantum surface, like everything that we exist on is built by a certain reality, but I always understand that, you know, like just a frequency below or above is a completely different, you know, space, right? And as human beings, we're like a receptor of this, you know, electrical energy or this wa- these waves, this light energy. And I think that that's the case in point that kind of keeps us locked into what we're doing. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, when you're looking at major things in life, like ideas, like money, you know, like money is just kind of a bastardization of energy, right? Like everything eventually eventually is supposed to just break down into some kind of form of energy that is out there. And I've always kind of like tried to educate people that, you know, you could always focus everything to being on money, but, you know, if you give up other types of energy or other thought forms, you know, you might be able to get the same thing that you were looking for at a cheaper price or even at no price. Or yeah, if money you just, is just a, a common way for us to store and exchange the energy that we've already expended. That's all it really is. And that's why once you start getting into these little tricks and uh, systems and not to say the tricks aren't legal, but it, Nonetheless, once you start seeing the little tricks that the banking system's doing, where money starts off as essentially uh, a surrogate for work, but very quickly ends up being uh, not not even just diluted, but really being created out of thin air with no work involved. And that's, uh, I think, the the biggest cause of the devaluation, and that's where the cryptocurrency right now 
I think is making uh, a big difference. Yes, there's a novelty aspect. There's a lot of things that are driving the price up. But one question I asked recently, uh, because I was very curious to see who answers how. So uh, it was more a question meant for me to get a, a perspective on how the person is thinking. The question being, did uh, did Bitcoin greatly go up in value or did the dollar simply go down in value? I believe the dollar has gone down in value and the perceived value of Bitcoin has become inflated because if the dollar value wasn't a deflationary index, all of the new investments that these banks are making into Bitcoin would have generally pushed the mark even higher than it was today. And, you know, the investments that they're doing, you know, a $300,000 investment is like not even anything closest to what you need for something in, I think, nowadays time. And like right now, I feel like the price is definitely, you know, inflated. But it's inflated because, you know, the people that are currently buying the Bitcoin ETFs and putting in big orders are looking to short the system here in the near future. And we've seen this happen before. We saw it happen back when it went up to like 10,000 that one time. And then we saw it happen again. And we're watching it happen again. And a lot of people out there are celebrating. But then there's guys like me who have seen this happen and have just been waiting for it to go down. And that's where I'm at with it right now is that, you know, cash is always going to be a a deflationary asset and Bitcoin is designed to be non-deflationary, but it's not designed to be unmanipulatable. And that's the thing that I feel that a 51% attack, you know, if a bunch of these guys decided to just start hoarding Bitcoin, like they could do something like that, but it's more of a danger from the exchanges. It's the exchanges that actually had the ability to do this. So like if Coinbase and Binance and Kraken teamed up with a bunch of hedge fund traders, right? then yes, they could do this. Because you got to think, a lot of these exchanges are holding all this Bitcoin in single wallets. It's like... People are talking about the Bitcoin whale that's got 2.1 billion in Dogecoin. That's not a person. That's an exchange wallet. (laughs) Like, that's an exchange. So, yes, a person or an exchange that is hoarding all these Bitcoins into a cold storage account that is recreating accounts of Bitcoin like Coinbase for people where people don't control the private keys, it's... The exchanges that are the danger to all of cryptocurrency and to our regular form currency because we're all closely right. We're all on the train right now. It's going like really slow and we're all like we can all see we're about to crash into the wall, but nobody's like stopping the train from moving. I mean, we're all just kind of like kicking back and watching it go towards the wall, I guess you could say. And here... The exchanges are the ones that are the only protection right now. So, like, if the exchanges basically stop playing ball with the consumer and start playing ball with the banks and other things, which is where it's been headed, then something like this could happen. Because once all the exchanges give up their access to their private keys to the people or the powers that be, 
then the powers that be could make that fundamental change to the blockchain that was out yep. there where they could basically stop signing people's transactions or any number of other iridescent things that shouldn't be possible. Yeah, and the various activities. The the thing that I really haven't talked about Bitcoin a whole lot publicly. I've I've talked about it privately with friends, but uh, in my opinion, uh, Bitcoin really is going to end up if it doesn't get killed along the way, it will, once it's uh, uh, no longer mineable, uh, will end up as the index. So every other type of currency, every other type of transactional value system will be tied to the index, which will end up being Bitcoin. Um, it doesn't have to be Bitcoin for sure. And if Bitcoin gets killed, something else will take its place. But the idea of having the blockchain mechanism combined with a a limited uh, a limited total number of potential units is ideal as the index because everything else is really variable. You you want more dollars, you can print more dollars. You you want more gold, you can get more gold. You want more diamonds, you get more diamonds. Every, every other thing that is used both in fiat and, and in real money, you, is not a, 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 it's not by design a limited quantity, uh, whereas this is, and that creates a somewhat unique uh, perspective on how it can be utilized, which is ideally as an index. Well, I agree with that, actually. I think it, I think Bitcoin's going to end up being the index. I mean, Dogecoin proved, like, the cryptocurrency model way before Bitcoin ever even got finished getting mined out. And we know now what happens after that is done. And, you know, yep. Bitcoin's pretty straight up. You know, there's not going to be any more. It's just going to be, these are it. And if yep. you're mining Bitcoin at that point, you're not even mining Bitcoin. You're just mining transaction fees. Yeah, and it, exactly. And so I think it, it's a, it's, it's ideally suited for that unless there's a disruption that happens. So it's funny. We started off the conversation talking about your platform and then moved on to talking about uh, technology and then you and then uh, even a little more uh, sort of psychological stuff and ended up on Bitcoin. So it's, uh, I think that that's actually a mark of a very good conversation uh, and a good interview. But I do want to round back to the uh, platform uh, itself because I'm sure that's probably people that were listening at the beginning and are still on um, wanted to hear the conclusion of that conversation. So you chose a platform, it's Japanese, you're having to translate stuff. You think it does a better job than Mastodon does. So what's the future? What's your goal? What's your plan moving forward? So our plan moving forward is that uh, we're going to be integrating cryptocurrency into our system. Um, we're going to be starting off with a cryptocurrency I designed called Ohmcoin. It was a couple years back which is based on acts of kindness. And we're basically just going to be giving out uh, tranches of it to our users so they can, you know, like pass it around and, you know, use it on the platform. And our ultimate goal is that we're going to actually be integrating a social send style feature, basically, that will allow you to utilize any cryptocurrencies uh, that we've chosen. So obviously the big 10 are going to be on the list and a couple of other ones, but we're partnering up with an exchange so that we're 
basically going to allow people to actually have like wallets so they can tip people or donate people crowdfund for ideas and at the same time um since our platforms right now you know MissKey and peertube are not really interconnected my ultimate goal is to basically have them be fully uh, interconnected so that it's a model where we have separate servers but you can live stream on the platform you can upload videos on the platform you know podcasts anything that you would like and then you know all of your features and monetization could be done basically right on the platform and we didn't want to sell ads or anything like that but we're really going to be looking at making a brave style model where you could either choose to have no ads and you don't get anything and or you can choose to see ads on the platform and you get paid basically out on a pr to be determined currency uh, we were thinking about using bat but i don't know uh, we've been talking to them a little bit and i'm not exactly i'm not exactly sold on their them wanting to have people developing stuff for their stuff yet okay what, what do you but, think of litecoin um, I like Litecoin a lot. Litecoin, I used to own a, a crap ton of Litecoin. I solved a Litecoin puzzle one time and got a decent amount of it. Um, Litecoin to me was a great one. The guy that created it uh, was a smart man. Um, he really did make an improvement on Bitcoin that was substantial. Like Litecoin was one of my favorite things to transfer money into. So I'd always trade my Bitcoin into Litecoin and then send it in Litecoin. And then Dogecoin came out and then I just used that because it was even cheaper. But um, Litecoin was always a very like good, good asset to me. It was like digital silver in a lot of ways. And I feel like it's it's got a lot of time out there. There's still... A, good, a decent amount an ability for people to get it so i've always looked at it as being you know a pretty solid like digital currency to be honest though my favorite my the best digital currency in my opinion based on all of the facts out there is dogecoin by far it's the fastest it works the best and uh it simply is i'm not gonna say perfect but it solves every issue with the dollar and it solves every issue with Bitcoin and Litecoin. And it's already been mined out completely and is still going. Yeah. Because and, and Elon Musk likes it. You know, well, I was involved with the Dogecoin team and um, like the other guys got a lot more cred because they did. I guess technically more work, but the idea behind like the reasoning for creating this joke was because like we wanted to show that we could create the best digital currency out there that was the fastest and the most secure. And at this point, you know, like Dogecoin is there's not even anybody working on it and it just works. Yep. And, that's scary. And that's uh that's a, a testament to the, uh, uh, to the initial thoughts going into it. Yeah. So like to me, I would like love, you know, when Dogecoin was out there, they already had, they had like eBay and stuff with Dogecoin. They had all kinds of different websites that you could go use your Dogecoins with. The amount of development that happened behind Dogecoin was unlike anything that we've ever seen. And, you know, that's why when I selected MissKey was because like I pay attention to these GitHubs and I pay attention to the people that are, making these platforms, their ideologies. And that's the main reason that, you know, I didn't go with Mastodon is because number one, Torba was already, you know, using that. 
And uh, yep. I had already done my research into it. And I was just like, how are you supposed to be able to run this for, you know, a cheap price? Like, if I'm spending more than $250 a month on a server for, you know, less than 50,000 people or something like that, I feel like I'm making a mistake, right? So I built this platform because at first I wanted to see what was going on with it. And then I started enlisting members of my already interesting development team to assist us with it. So we see integrating cryptocurrency and tipping is going to be one of the main things that we have to do in the interim. And within the next couple of months, we're probably going to have to end up just building PeerTube or rebuilding PeerTube more as like a module for our current setup, but it's still going to be segregated because right now, you know, I'm not, we're, we're not running. We're not, we don't have a bunch of servers. I have one server, you know, how many users do you have right now as of this interview? Uh, 2,100 local and there's like 12,000 remote. Damn. And, and the server itself as, is, and you, you, how long have you guys been up officially that people have been able to see you and jump on a month okay so that's a pretty good growth in the month yeah it was pretty decent for the month and i mean for something that we put to i put together just off of the side wasn't there or you know wasn't even there and i'm we've already grown bigger than all of the other miskey instances out there but more or less i think that we've actually just proved the Prove, prove the concept that Miss Key's actually probably going to be a better, it's going to be a better overall system. You know, there's less development, I guess you would say, behind it. But, you know, it, to me, it just has more potential for moving forward. And I've invested into the guy that actually runs the, you know, actually created the thing. And uh, we're working on actually trying to get him on, you know, like have him be a part of our team because, you know, like that's the way we want to work on this thing. At and you're looking at really from a scalability is a very important criteria for you, right? Yeah, scalability is important. The number one thing for me, like I don't want to, I I'm gonna put this thing on a server, you know, just to be give you an example. It's like I put this thing on an eighty dollar a month DigitalOcean server, so that's sixteen gigabytes of RAM, like four to eight virtual cpus and like a 320 gig hard drive you know nothing and what i expect is like if i'm going to use something and if i'm paying 80 dollars a month for a server like i should be able to get like a thousand people on that thing no problem and you're doing you know what i'm that. saying you're doing better than that right now actually doing much better than that way better than that. yeah and then we migrated to a much better box like i future proofed us because i decided i was like all right well i'm just going to build a really solid box for this so we have a new box with a ryzen 9 3900 uh which is way too much cpu which, which people would consider to be way too much cpu but i have tricks for that and then it's like got like 128 gigabytes of ram uh, so right now it's like Everything that happens on our site is coming off RAM. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, at the same time, like we're using very, very, uh, we're using a really high end processor that generally is made for a desktop, but you know, we figured we wouldn't need to worry about anything else other than that. And like for the other box that we're using, we're using basically the same processor to encode video and things. And I mean, it's super fast. You know, yeah. we don't and have too I much know issues. Adam said that um, he wants to lock down 
No Agenda Social at 10,000 users. I think it's about uh, 92, 9,300 users on there right now. Uh, so you guys don't have an, a limit in your minds right now, right? So if you get to 10,000, you're going to keep going and going and going. Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to stop. Like we didn't we figured we were going we're doing this number 1 to make fun of Torba because you know like to me he's the scammer in a lot of ways. Like he's done some really shady shit and uh, he hasn't really given Masset on the credit that they deserve for the product that he's using, you know, like he made Mastodon like a viable option for people, but they haven't really discussed or told anybody exactly, you know, what it takes to, for them to keep it running. So on and so forth. And for us, we figured we're not going to unlimit the amount of people that are in there. If we get to 10,000 people and I need to put it on a new box, I'm just going to put it on a new box. And yeah, uh, we started, like you are going to need to though. It's uh, probably, have significantly more people than that uh, on the current hardware. Yeah, I think we could probably. I think on this current box, we could probably easily get a hundred thousand people. Yeah, that's kind of what I was before thinking. I actually turn the workers and stuff on and actually start needing to do something. Because right now, you know, like I've just basically set everything to be running from the memory, and you know, we're not even using the NVMe hard drives that are on it. So like. This thing's going to be fast, fast, just going into the way. And, you know, like I'm, you know, like we just had this thing custom built and put it up and had it put it up. So it took like a couple of days to get it done. But to me, it's just a better idea moving forward because, you know, number one, we don't want to get censored. So, you know, we don't talk about who we host with or anything like that. People can figure it out if they want to. But we wanted to make sure that we had a monster box that's running the service but you know i already have a plan you know for if i have to buy another box i already know which box that i'm gonna buy and if somehow we make it to a million users or something like that like gab did you know like i have a plan for that too all right like right, right now this thing's actually running decentralized in a lot of ways we're and this is how we're going to be going forward and it's another reason that i didn't see mastodon as being a viable option was because that Mastodon has to use something called Sidekick and they need that for extra threads and throughput for the way that they're serving out things to clients and then they're also having to pull things with something called PG Bouncer a lot to ensure that you know you can get enough throughput on the database reads and writes and there's like a pool of data so like you're not like your server's not chipping up. And this is stuff that you have to worry about when you're like on virtual machines and things of that nature. And for what we're doing, we want it to be like directly associated, but you know, we also want it to be decentralized. So like we have IPP, we're going to be integrating IPFS into the system for files. And, uh, the main thing is uh, we're going to be leveraging the JavaScript because it's made in JavaScript. So that means that we can use JavaScript workers. And I've never seen anybody do what we're trying to do, but we're basically decentralizing a majority of the work from the box by placing workers, JavaScript workers, in key locations around the world that basically speed up the routes in between where you're at so like it doesn't matter where you are we have like a centralized database but eventually that database is going to be distributed now didn't i didn't i see that on the hbo show silicon valley a couple years back 
Yeah, you did actually. <laughs> I thought I ha- I have to chime in with that. Yeah, no, it's funny because I've like watched Silicon Valley and I love that show, but like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is just like jokingly. It's it seems like a lot of stuff that Richard. I Hedges think the coolest things often initiate their well start off their lives as jokes. Well, hey. that's what we started this off as is a joke. That's why it's yep. we're going to succeed. Yeah, when you start off by thinking, wouldn't it be cool if dot dot dot? That's where the creativity really kicks in. Yeah. Well, well with that, what... um, I let's wrap up the interview. I know we're already going about an hour here, but I definitely want to give you an opportunity here to let people know how to get a hold of you and and also how to get a hold of your server, how to get on your server, because obviously you're going to be open uh, anytime they listen to this, even a year down the road. Um, so why, why don't you wrap up by providing those details? Oh, well, you can check us out at gitmo.life. Uh, that's the server that we have. We also have gitmo.tv, gitmo.tv. And you can uh, search us on YouTube for our YouTube channel where we do updates about what's going on on the platform. That's uh, also gitmo life, no, no period. And you can find me pretty much anywhere, uh, if you just want to email me and get in contact with me, you can find me on Twitter at Gitmo Life, or you can email me at mchavez at Gitmo Life, and I'd be happy to speak with you. Perfect. Well, I appreciate your time. appreciate you jumping on. I know when we chatted a little bit online, it definitely sounded like you had some cool stuff going on. I want to make sure I let more people know about you. Well, I appreciate the time, man, and I hope you have a blessed day. Thanks for having me on. All right, and with that, we're going to wrap up. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 